My name is Conrad, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 68th episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. This episode, we're covering 2000 AD for September 1981, progs 228 to 231. This week, Judge Dredd settles death's hash, Nemesis plays the blues... We'll start the kidney caper, and Rogue Trooper synths out across New Earth for the very first time. How you doing this episode, Fox? 16 pence? Are they fucking crazy? <laughs> the fuck am I? Made out of money? It's true, Just man. because you put a blue guy on the cover of your fucking magazine <laughs> yep, <laughs> doesn't like... mean I, like, I should dish out. Like, I could go down to my chocolate store... Where the weird singing dude is who who sings about rainbows and candy, mm-hmm. and I could get a golden ticket to the Wonka factory for like fucking sixteen pence. It's possible, you know, it's like thirty it's value like, proposition. It's like thirty five cents in, in, in American money in nineteen eighty one money. Whoa, that's long money. <laughs> that's what I'm talking about. Yeah. Oh man. So let's jump into this chocolate yeah. factory because it's pretty fucking amazing. Speaking of blue guys on the cover, Fox. We go <laughs> through one rogue trooper. Uh, script robot J- Jerry Finley Day, art robot Dave Gibbons, letting robots Dave Gibbons and Bill Nuttall. So, oh man, oh man, it's a big <laughs> return for both of these two uh, 2008 uh, classic 2080 creators. We haven't seen Finley Day since Fiends of the Eastern Front, and Gibbons' last big work was on Act 3 of Dan Dare, though he's done some Robo-Tales and other stuff more recently. And it's beautiful. Yeah. Here we go with Rogue Trooper. He's a, uh, he's a, Mount, he's a uh, 2080 Mount Rushmore character, if you ask me, Fox, along with a Dread Johnny Alpha and the forthcoming Slain. He's just a top, one of the top 2080 dudes. So, here goes. It's the future, Fox. It's the planet New Earth, NU. Mm. It's a planet that's been, that's been rocked by war. The atmosphere is completely unbreathable by humans. Into this hell comes the rogue Fuck. trooper. <laughs> Why do they want a planet that no one can use? I mean, I think it used to be usable, but now it's just sort of like, well, neither side wants to give up, you know? The, uh, okay. The, yeah, the wars between the Southers and the Norts. The Southers are sort of, you know, they're, they're American-esque, I guess, and they're commanded by a heartless system called Millicom. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, the Norts, or, oh, sorry, and we see like a, we, we open with like a platoon of Souther troops going over the top to attack a North, a, a North base straight into the teeth of a Hell's Streak gun that dissolves them. Man, that is my favorite kind of gun because it just sets people on fire, I guess. Yeah. So, so the Norts, they're kind of like commie Nazis, basically. Um, you know. No, there's a running fucking theme here. Yeah, we kind of see them being, like, evil as they kill people and stuff. When you kill them, they shout, like, Nain! In their own language is kind of a yet kind of thing. Um, yeah, yeah so- well, they're definitely, like, mustache twirlers. They're like, yeah. oh, I'm gonna get this guy by sneaking up behind him, or ooh, I'll throw a thing in this. I'm yeah. so evil. Exactly. Yeah, they're kind of evil future German guys, basically. And then there's Rogue. <laughs> Rogue is the Rogue is the last genetic infantryman. He's a he's a Souther, but you know, he's gone. Uh well, you know, you can guess, I guess. He's uh he's he's well muscled. <laughs> he's shirtless, but he wears a helmet. He's got blue skin. You only know he's got blue skin because it appears on the cover of the progs. <laughs> um, and besides the helmet, he's got like a rifle and a backpack. The rifle has this weird gun or this weird glove thing that covers the trigger and stuff. Mm. I, I'd say possibly to make it easier to draw, but I don't want to sort of, you know, throw stones, I guess. And then yeah. all that gear has biochips in them. Um this so, this is actually where I tip my hat to uh, to Dave Gibbons. Mm-hmm. This is one of my favorite things about Rogue Trooper, mind you. Uh, every time you have shown me a picture of Rogue Trooper, I am I was 
not enthusiastic mostly because I'm like, this man looks like a blue gorilla. Mm-hmm. Um, not, not all that interesting until I actually started reading it, obviously, which yeah. is a lot of 2000 AD. But mm. the, this is something that happens a lot in this comic. Um, anytime the biochip, um, people in mm-hmm. each of his, uh, pieces of equipment talk, yeah. they are given like a gear, um, frame as yeah. opposed to like um the radio the classic radio frame or um the robot frames that we're used to seeing yeah they like, have their own kind of speech level this, yeah yeah it's it's really neat like i like it a lot definitely and the word bubbles all kind of come out of different parts of rogue's body and stuff like that mm. so you know yeah so we've got yeah so Rogue's got his buddies, uh, Helm, Bagman, and Gunner. They go in there sort of in their item that sounds like their name, basically. Um, <laughs> Which is really convenient. Yeah. We'll learn more about them later. I'll let you know, Fox, that originally when they were figuring out this comic, they were thinking about having Rogue actually have the body parts of his fallen comrade, like some kind of Frankenstein, oh, basically. Cool. Yeah, but that, that idea was nixed as being too gruesome, essentially. Um <laughs> So, yeah. So anyhow, you know, we pick up the action here. We get sort of the story. The, uh, we sort of establish the concept, basically. The, there's Southern troops. They're pinned down by a North Hell Streak base. Uh, Rogue, cause he doesn't have to wear a suit in the, uh, in the air of New Earth, is able to sneak up on the North base and blow it up. And, uh, he tries to not kill it, to not kill some of the troops because he wants answers about the Quartz Massacre, where all the other genetic mm. infantrymen were killed. But instead, he's forced to kill all the uh, Norts with a bunch of, like, sweet backpack throw-in and, or backpack smashed and rifle throw-in moves and stuff like that. Dude, he chokes out a guy while he rips his mask off, making him breathe in the toxic mm-hmm. air. There's this guy lo- has no issue just, like, murdering everybody. Nope. Yeah, there's a lot of... A big key move for all these New Earth guys is you just gotta tear somebody's suit, and that's basically curtains for them. And then, you know, he does all this while keeping up a constant dialogue with his gear, with with his gear, sort of observing the situation and stuff. Uh the Southers set up a base on the former North base. They thank Rogue, but Rogue has to move on. He's not part of the system anymore because he's gone. Well, you know. Rogue. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, it, it's neat that, like, so there is this constant communication, but it's all kind of in jokes, like, I'll watch your back. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I fucking love it. Yeah, they're definitely very, like, sort of jokey about their state, about their situation in a lot of cases. So, and, like, we already get the laid groundwork from the first issue mm-hmm. with, like, people saying, like, oh, man, like, you gotta talk into Millicom, and he's like, nope. And they're um, like, oh, it's not great, but yeah. he saved us, so he's kind of a cool dude. Exactly. So next up, Rogue visits the war-torn streets of New Paris. Uh, that's P-A-R-E-E. It's basically one giant tower and then like 200% rubble, basically. <laughs> um, and like corpses and like, yeah. people weirdly still here for reasons. Oh, yeah. So Rogue's attacked by a Nort ambush that sort of comes out of a cellar and attacks him, but he takes him out easily. And then he gets taken in by a Souther military patrol. Yeah, so after clocking a dude with the top of his helmet, which mm-hmm. was amazing, and killing two guys, oh, we're the military police, we just showed up and fuck you, man. You're exactly. coming back to base for a yeah. reprimanding. Basically, they want, like, Milikan wants him to report in, but Rogue won't, because he's trying to look for clues about the Quartz Massacre. Uh, suddenly, mm. though, the base is hit by a Nort sniper with a seal buster, which is like, you know, most of these bases are kind of built in these, like, sort of, uh, expanded plastic, like, sort of houses, essentially. And so. Mm. It's like a big bubble, right? Yeah. And so this basically pops that bubble and kills almost everybody. Rogue takes out the sniper and gets on his way, leaving the only survivor of the Souther base to marvel at his sweet biochip buddies. <laughs> <laughs> But Rogue now knows that he has to watch out for both the Norts and and for Souther Millicom, uh, Millicom as he goes. And it's always the man. Mm-hmm. Fucking man. 
After that, Rogue finds himself in a glass zone, an area where heat bombs have melted the earth into glass, which is apparently just like the site of the Quartz Massacre. Exhausted from his trek, Rogue lies down to get some shut-eye, but he forgets to clean Gunner, his rifle. Uh, to Ro- which, like, I guess it's just a thing. He's just like, hey, remember, and everyone's like, let him go to sleep. And then, of course, why not have a wonderful dream about your past that yeah. readers can enjoy? <laughs> yeah, Rogue dreams about the Quartz Massacre of all the GIs, the genetic infantrymen, being drop-potted from space, but the Nords having advanced knowledge of it so they can, like, shoot them down as they fall to Earth, basically. My favorite shot here is the dude who looks like a member of Cobra looking right at the camera or, like, right at the at the viewer and being mm-hmm. like, Get them! They're so That's evil. So great. It's great. They're definitely evil. They've <laughs> got they've got markings that uh, go across their eyes yep. for their masks. That's They're the 100% key. bad. <laughs> so, uh... Gunner is the, uh, so the first of the biochips to die is Gunner. He leads an assault to buy the troops some time to get some to safety, but he's shot. And Rogue removes his biochip and slots it into Gunner's own rifle. And then Rogue snaps his rifle over his knee, like, I'm just using Gunner from here on out. Well, so keep in mind to get that biochip, he's holding Gunner takes out a laser scalpel and yeah. goes into his brain to get cut it. that shit out of your brain, out of your buddy's brain, buddy. That's why it's lucky oh. that do- the doctors never engineered GIs to cry. That's <laughs> fucked up. They, he didn't say not feel pain, just nope. that they won't cry. Exactly. Um, so Rogue wakes up like he starts awake from his nightmare. He realizes that, that he didn't clean his rifle, and he's about to do it, but then he find, finds out that a gunner has started the process himself, and now it's in cleaning mode and can't be used, but a Nord patrol is approaching. Uh, so gunner's basically like an oven where you put it in clean mode, and then you, it's sort of unusable for the next five hours or something. Uh, <laughs> So, Rogue instead grabs a Laz scalpel from Bagman and buys time by slicing a hole in some North suits. And then finally, he's able to use a freshly clean gunner to take down the rest. Synth out, chip bros. Only follow my orders or we'll all die out here. Which I think is pretty fucking fair. Don't just go doing this shit, man. I'm the only one of us with legs. Yeah, I got hands. None of the rest of you guys do. Well, I guess Bagman kind of has hands. We'll find out, but don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> what? Like, yes. I mean, we'll see, but like, you know, Bagman's basically full of different flavors of grenades, and he can, in fact, throw them himself. Oh, that's so awesome. <laughs> I'm into. I'm into. Look, I love this. No one's going to get this. I love Banjo-Kazooie, so stuff sure. that comes out of backpacks and helps you is, like, all my rage. This is your comic, buddy. Um, so mm-hmm. Rogue, Rogue comes across a huge tank battle. A giant Nort tank is tracking the voices tracking voices to kill Souther troops. Suddenly it picks up Gunner's voice, and Rogue has to act fast. He chips... This seems cre- like an inefficient thing for a tank. To, I mean, like, find people. Yeah, it's just sort of wiping people out, just sort of for fun, almost. The uh, the chips mm. create a diversion as Rogue assaults the tank, Empire Strikes Back style, tossing a bunch of gamma grenades into a viewport. The tank is destroyed, and the boys head out. And because even if it's not their war, they can still score some points. Man, this sure is sounding like uh, the VCs a little bit. Kinda. Next time. Terror of the Decapitators. <laughs> oh, what? For me, it's more of like a uh, of, of a future war-themed Incredible Hulk, right? Like, it's not like there's a continuous oh, theme on fair. it. It's more just like Rogue is this lone guy sort of wandering from battlefield to battlefield, sort of getting involved with stuff. You know, as time goes by, we'll get more advanced sort of plots and stuff. But right now, we're still establishing the setup. We're getting the backstory mm. and sort of learning about the different chips before they become... <clears throat> You know, from back when they're dudes, and then eventually we'll kind of get onto the big, like, sort of a plot line. Or actually, actually, well, I mean, maybe less like the Incredible Hulk and more like the Fugitive, actually, as we'll see, because he starts hunting one specific guy. I personally, I just really liked it. Uh, like, good start to a fresh comic. I like these war comics more and more now. Um, 
like VCs had its ups and downs, but mm-hmm. like this one, you've got a team of weird, inanimate, not inanimate objects. Yeah. Um, which I think is is kind of great. They seem to have their own personalities yeah, at least definitely. a little bit in the beginning. Yeah, yeah, they definitely do. Yeah, I'm excited about it too. Uh, you know, these are uh, Rogue Troopers, pretty fun. I'm a big uh, Finley Day fan, so this is going to be some exciting mm. times. Yeah, pretty and by the book. Yeah, speaking of things that are maybe less by the book, but I think we both also really like Fox. Oh, thrill to Nemesis the Warlock. <laughs> I'm so happy about this. <laughs> Script robot Pat Mills, art robot Kevin O'Neill, letting robot Steve Potter. So okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> hey man, sometimes you just gotta open up a fucking evil book. Always. Find out your mom's no <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, brother Gogol, the executioner of Terminus, has a problem. He's recently learned that he's a mandrake, which is a half-human, half-alien, and he's half-grotusk, to be precise, because he was an orphan, because apparently grotusk females kill their husbands, I guess. Um, uh, why would you have sex with that? I don't know if you get a choice, because grotusks are big, red, scaly monsters with giant nostrils and stuff. Grotusk or a, and a... Gogol himself is starting to develop the telltale nostrils and scaly skin and things like that. Oh, and weird tentacle fingers. Yeah. As we see him, like, <laughs> I, I can't tell if he's, like, trying to blow his nose, but then it just, like, goes through the other side or some stuff. It's, like, super gross. Yeah. He reflects on the hypocrisy of his situation and how he's come up by a crusading against aliens and later disciplining others for being alien sympathizers. Ooh. The, some future shock shit right there. Mm-hmm. The ghost of Torquemada visits him and informs him that he'll be executing a big group of the uh, that a big group of human traitors that we saw get caught last episode. A good thing to notice that they actually mentioned that he's like the right hand of yeah. Torquemada. He is like the guy because he has murdered so many fucking aliens. Absolutely, but that night he is he has visited. By Nemesis the Warlock. Who's just floating above the man's wife. Yeah, <laughs> above his hypnotized wife, yeah. Nemesis says he knows the truth about, of Gogol's nature and blackmails him into helping the prisoners escape. He also lays out his big speech. He is Nemesis, the Warlock, the shaper of things to come, Lord of the Flies, holder of the sword sinister, Deathbringer who waits on the edge of your dreams. And is super creepy as he does it. Getting yeah. like real nudie and close. You gotta, you know, it's important to remember that like Nemesis, you know, he's way better than the bad guys, but maybe not the goodest of guys out there, you know? This is sort of a tweener fight. Also, question for you, like there's a, sh- there's a shot of him as he's talking, looking real sly, mm-hmm. looking real awesome because Nemesis is dope. Yep. But uh, his like faceplate is like slobbering. Like the stuff on, the, on like his neck there? No, because that's his just, mouth. You know, he's got like a giant mouth on, like, sort of on that base, that neck there. Okay, but then why is it on on his face thing where his like weird shark nose is? It's like dripping with yeah. goo or that something. That could just be like some nose stuff, man. Nemesis is a lot going on. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Fair. Yeah. So next up, Nemesis visits his uncle Ball, an an old warlock who lives in a messy magic man. A mansion deep in the fringe worlds. Um, I'm so into Bale. Yeah, he's basically Nemesis with a big beard. He sits at like a, he sits in a skeleton chair, and he has a familiar uh, Grabendak. He's a worm dude that just speaks in gibberish. I love it. Yeah. Although they do constantly remind you that he's speaking gibberish, which is a fringe world dialect. Well, I think it's, you know, you, one of the problems of, of the weekly comic is you have to assume that people, you know, you have to do a little oh, bit of yeah. stuff to introduce people to it every uh, every new time. So it just means that there's a lot of like sort of, yeah, this we know this guy's talking weird. It's a, it's a dialect thing. You know, be cool. Why why isn't this man melting? Where are his melt powers? When will meltdown man melt? That's what I'm trying to say. So uh, so <laughs> so Bale is doing forbidden research on humans and has to rush to hide it when Nemesis arrives. And Nemesis is there asking for a spell to create a dimension portal. 
the to argue about the pro- proper way to deal with humans, what either to resist and help them out or just wipe them out completely with magic. Uh, Nemesis settles the argument by revealing the sword sinister, which we'll learn more about next episode. <laughs> and this is this is like a very good conversation stopper, apparently, because his uncle is like, bro, please don't kill me with your dumb sword. Absolutely. Apparently, this is a big deal. Mm-hmm. Bale offers to help, and he offers Nemesis a poison drink while he goes to get the spell. The two drink after Nemesis magically switches the drink, which which, which I thought was pretty cool. Like, he picks the liquid yeah, well, up out of each one and swaps them. Yeah, like, Grubbins or whatever is like, hey, dude, this this shit's not good. And he's just like, Wrap. Yep. never leave the room when you poison a man's drink. No, you want to watch that whole process. <laughs> yeah. Don't give them time to think about it, especially leaving him in the room with the familiar that hates you. Yeah. So so Bale's knocked out. Nemesis steals his magic library and takes the Grabendock with him. Uh, Bale laments this turn of events with only his skeleton chair, Henry, to console him and give him a nice back rub. <laughs> so, I mean, all's well that ends well, really, because he's getting a nice back rub. Yeah, it's cool. At the Temple of Terminus preparation... For the feast of Zamarkand is underway, at least until Nemesis the Warlock shows up. In a series of awesome moves, he slices his way through the guards at the temple, having Grabendok check for survivors. Uh, This is apparently sort of a trap set up by Gogol to try to stop Nemesis from freeing every prisoner on Terminus during the feast, but no dice. No, but slice and dice more like it. Oh, yeah, (laughs) buddy. High five. The, um, the dimensional <laughs> portal is in place, and Nemesis goes into the crypt beneath the temple to find Brother Hades, the man who plays the pandemonium. Oh, man, and that thing is awesome. But yeah. first, we've got to see what is by far the coolest thing yeah. so far that I've seen in this comic. There's a lot of awesome things, <laughs> but... Uh, what is it called? The Seven Chapters, yeah. the, the yeah. Inquisition, the New Druids, the Dervishes, the Outriders, the Assassins, the Dark Brethren, and the Berserkers with, all marching with a, with Torquemada <laughs> in the center in his gun in his golden gondola. Yeah, it's the procession oh, of the so Terminators sick. to the temple for the feast of Zamarkand. It is grim, dark as fuck. So fucking cool. So cool. Absolutely. So, Rogue confront, or, no, my gosh, Nemesis confronts <laughs> Brother Hades and kills him, taking his robe. Grabendok goes to free the rest of the prisoners, but runs afoul of some bellyaching human guards. The Feast of Zamarkand begins, flames rushing up from the Earth's core in a full-color page. That's one of the greatest things I've ever seen. Um, the sacrificial humans are brought to the edge of, like, a giant spire thing. They're going to be tossed into the fire as the pandemonium rises up. It's this part organ, part stalagmite, part war machine. As Ugh. a as a giant, as the giant shade of Torquemada sort of looks down over all of this, looking like I don't know, like sort of um, like that night on Bald Mountain section of uh, of Fantasia. Yeah. You know? it's real cool. Um, He's just evilly looming over the entire thing, half magma, half ghost yeah the the pandemonium plays is sending the terminators into a frenzy purity brown is the first brought forth to be executed she has a dialogue with a giant ghost of torquemada she argues against the murder of aliens the end of torquemada's reign but it falls on deaf ears the terminators grow more agitated by the pandemonium as purity hears the voice of nemesis in her head Jump into the fucking pit. Do not be afraid. You must enter the pit. The flames are your gateway to freedom. Trust me. Says this over and over. Hearing this voice, purity, and then all the human alien sympathizers leap into the flames. Torquemada is suspicious of this, but has no time as the pandemonium fires its rockets, even as the crowd of Terminators seems to go mad from its music. Suddenly, Torquemada learns that Brother Hades has been killed, but who plays the pandemonium? Nemesis! Wearing his robe, Phantom of the Opera style. Next time. So awesome. Muse Mania. Goddamn, Conrad, I love. It's real good, right? (laughs) So fucking much. Yeah, man. 
It's real good. The art's real awesome. The action's really good, which I think can be overlooked a little bit in favor of just looking at all this crazy, like, gothic artwork and stuff. But even just the scenes of ah. Nemesis just sorting through crowds of crowds of guys is really cool. I just think it's it's hard not to just fall in love with the art, with what's going on, um, with the characters. Like, everybody is just kind of on their game. Like, mm-hmm. it, to me, what's what's awesome is I look at these little details in some of the screens of the video. There's this really Absolutely. small portion of a panel where um, Gogol is, like, going into his office, which, by the way they call cells mm-hmm. <laughs> they don't like it's not like where you work it's not your personal office it's your cell yeah and as he's walking through looking at all of his medals there's all these like random statues and blades but there's also like just a picture of all of them in white Ku Klux Klan <laughs> it's just like hey we're class of like 20 mm-hmm. I, I don't know 30,000 or whatever yeah it's it's just neat that they're putting in all of this detail, and that's kind of what the art is about. Yeah. Um, while everything is just so fucking over the top, it's great. Yeah, the art of Nemesis is, is both its blessing and its curse, as it sort of makes it so amazing, but also means that it can be a, it can be hard to meet production deadlines and also and all that stuff, as we'll see eventually. Oh, really? Yeah, but oh. that's for another day. Don't worry, we'll you know. Plenty more nemesis to come. Oh, yeah. Speaking of dead lines. Thrill 3, Judge Dredd. (laughs) Script robot for Judge Dredd, uh, John Wagner and Alan Grant as T.B. Grover, art robot Brian Balland and Colin Wilson, lettering robot Tom Frame. Tom, 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 we love you. That's all I got. Frame? So, the shield is down. Hit to the Billy Carter block with all you've got. The worm is turned for Which the Dark Judges. Which I guess judges. means exploded. <laughs> Listen, just keep shooting. It's full of demons. We just got to get it out of here. <laughs> um, the Dark Judges are know they're in trouble. They grab their teleport globes and go back to their home dimension. Dread, however, is not satisfied with this outcome. He and Anderson grab a teleport sphere as well, and they... Uh, sorry, they get it from the body of Judge Fear, I should mention, and then they teleport after them, and they arrive on Dead World, where life is illegal, and giant twisted city blocks uh, rise up from the ground, which is a carpet of human bones. It's pretty cool. Yeah, pretty bad news if you arrive on a planet full of human bones. Anytime the ground is carpeted with human bones is a bad time. It was true in the future of Terminator, it's true now. Um, and, like, right outside of this uh, city block, they've erected a statue, and mm-hmm. I say it's the four judges, it's no one else, because it just says on the statue that they've erected, here marks the spot where the last lawbreaker was given justice. Which means the last so they person made it. was killed. <laughs> one yeah. of them is an amazing artist, that's all I'm saying. No, they definitely built in their spare time, for sure. Um I got a lot of it when everyone's dead, I guess. Yeah. Anderson is swamped by the cries of the planet's dead, calling for revenge. The three remaining living dark judges confront the pair. Next, yeah, next to that statue the fox mentions. Dread opens fire, but it has no effect, and he gets hit in the shoulder by fire's trident. Bad news, really. Yeah. And he's already tried shooting them before. Like it's worked before, on, though. Man. Like you hit him with the incendiary bullets, or not, not, not judge uh, fire. The other ones, their bodies will be destroyed. Mm. Um, Anderson's gun melts in her hands because the judges <sighs> are incredibly powerful here in their own world. She comes under psychic assault from them. She falls to her knees and feels the agony of millions of tormented souls through the bones in the ground. And from them, she draws immense power. Power to sentence the Dark Judges to death! Oh man, guess they're gonna turn to dust? Yeah, they crumble to dust where they stand, and it's over! The Dark Judges are defeated forever! Judge Death will return in 1985. (laughs) (laughs) I will say, Judge Fear in this, like, when they're showing all the heads kind of hovering around Anderson. Yeah. Fear, actually, his faceplate is open, and it's like a universe of a thousand eyes looking at you, which... (laughs) Fair dues, it's pretty 
It's pretty creepy. I yeah. like it a lot. So, yeah. So, like I said, Judge Death will return in 1985. Anderson will be back sooner, dealing with slightly more mundane concerns and about 20 progs or so in the pages of The Apocalypse War. But don't worry about that. That sounds right awesome. Don't, don't worry about it. Oh. <laughs> but yeah, man, Judge Death and <laughs> Judge Death Lives. That's a classic Judge Dredd story. Like one of the classic ones, to be honest. Well, I love Judge Anderson. Mm-hmm. And every time you put Judge Anderson into a thing, I'm very happy. And then Judge Death and his three boys show up mm-hmm. and wow. they start wrecking house. It's pretty damn good, man. What's not to like? Um, I'm, yeah, I, I, they killed all of the people. Mm-hmm. That's what you want to do. <laughs> hey, speaking of killing all the people, it's Diary of a Mad Citizen. Yeah, it's a oh, nut- this dread story. Nuts. Yeah, the title's probably based on a Russian short story, uh, Diary of a Madman. Which was a writ- um, ironically written by a guy named Gogol, like uh, Brother Gogol in in Nemesis this this month. Huh. Though it could also be inspired by an Ozzy Osbourne album that was going to come out in November of 1981. It's probably not based on the Tyler Perry movie Diary of a Mad Black Woman. <laughs> Anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> it's just because that didn't come out till 2005. <laughs> so- and no one's inspired by fucking Tyler Berry. Oh, man. Anyhow, uh, Doby Queeg, he's tired of it all. He steals a bunch of weapons from his block city defense armory, killing a guard on the way, and he's gonna kill anybody who annoys him, and he gets annoyed pretty easily. Um, yeah. I mean, like, a dude coming to just do his job and being like, bro, get out of here. He just shoots him with a shotgun a whole right. bunch. Yeah. So, you know, this whole story's told from uh, Queeg's point of view, and it's kind of got a funny tone because he's just like, you know, I awoke on the third day, like preparing to uh, begin my new life as someone who do- who uh, stands up for himself when he's actually just like, you know, like got his guns. Like, I'm going to kill anybody who touches me. You know, I I love that he talks about and it, it, he does this a couple of times where he's just like, I'm going to sleep now. I woke up feeling refreshed, and it was yeah. really great. <laughs> and I knew that if anyone fucked with me, I was going to kill them a lot. Yeah, his, so his, I went outside. His opening move is just to gun down a guy on the street for jostling him. Uh, Dread yeah. investigates. He calls it in as a footsie case, which is someone who's suffering from future shock. Later, Queeg guns down Judge Slassinger for being a nosy Parker. Ah, oh, don't be a nosy Not Parker. Slassinger. <laughs> and then he blows up a fuel station to cover his tracks. But all this killing, killing nosy, killing of nosy Parkers makes him late for his job as a munch taster, and he gets fired. Later in the day, he ambushes his former boss and tosses him out a window. The body lands on a passing bus and causes a huge crash. <laughs> I mean, you know, nobody fires me. Mm-hmm. Queeg tries to escape, but in the hubbub, he, uh, Dread shoulders past him. He jostles him, and man, he hates to be jostled, so he swears revenge on Judge Dread. Dude, Dread puts his hand on his face and shoves him backwards. It's pretty cool. It's a pretty it's high. It's really qu- great. It's a high level jostling, to be sure. <laughs> yeah. The next day, Queen gets in a cab and asks to be taken to Judge Dread, and the driver's like, "That's a ridiculous thing to ask. I can't do that." Uh, so <laughs> Queen kills him, and the cab goes on autopilot, takes him back to the dispatcher, where Dread is called in. But before he can arrive, Queen gets out. He starts killing everybody in the cab dispatcher. That he comes commandeers a bus and has it roll out on the Patpoon Expressway. Dread gives chase. On the bus, Queek starts shooting other cars. He throws bombs into the back of the bus he's on, causing it to crash. What the fuck? It's, this guy's crazy. Uh, Dread finally arrives on the scene. He shoots the gun out of Queek's hand and then kicks him right in the face. Um, Jostle number two. Later, we see Queeg uh, continuing to write on his in his diary from inside a Rube Cube, strapped in a straitjacket, his resolved unweakened as he dictates to a psychiatrist to a psychologist spot, and that guy was another <laughs> awoke refreshed and alert and ready to carry on my new lifestyle. However, certain difficulties have been placed in my way. <laughs> I, I love that you can shoot a cab driver here, or a cab driver can die, and it's like, hey, listen, just letting you know, cab driver's dead now. We're returning over to this place. 
just remain calm. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> yeah, they, they, there's an autopilot for that, for sure. So I fucking love it. Finally, the Kilomunga are attacking Mega City 1. They're, oh, God, they're super creepy. Yeah, they're these furry nightmare guys with long hair, sharp teeth, and horrifying crab claws for hands. They climb right up the side of the border wall and begin their assault as killing as they go. Earlier that day, we see Shaky Pete Coco is turning judges' evidence to dread at a uh, at a Justice Department eye block, a heavily fortified skyscraper. Coco's spilling his guts as mob blitzers attack the block and hover cars. All I'm saying is don't employ a dude that's called Shaky Pete. It's true. It's, you know, but I guess you just, you have to deal with what you're given when you're in, in the future mob, you know? Uh, lasers that's open fire. Rare. Yeah, they destroy most of them. Even a kamikaze attack just bounces off the side of the block. The blitzers give up. It's time to go for the last resort to take down Coco before he can give, he can give everybody up. A mobster heads out to the cursed earth, to the cursed earth, signals the Gila and pays them ten million creds to take down Shaky Pete. The Gila Munga kill one of their own to seal the deal and establish their evil bona fides, because the most evil guy is the guy that kills his own guys. So watch out, Judge Dredd. Watch out for the Gila Munga. They're coming for you. The hell are they gonna do with money? They've got pincers for hands. It's a good point. Like I was surprised if I had pincers for hands well, yeah. and made out of poison, you know? Yeah, poison I'd pincers just eat for hands. what I wanted. It's true, but you know, maybe they like uh want to buy some stuff from the home shopping network or something, you know? They just need cash for that. <laughs> That's pretty fair. You gotta like gets to buy stuff on the on Amazon wish lists for their friends, you know? <laughs> they need they like little porcelain angels, you yeah. know? Uh, yeah, they got hum- humble figurines, but they keep breaking them with their t- terrifying claws. <laughs> they got to keep buying them, too. It's a vicious circle, you know? <laughs> yeah, of course. It's, it's pretty toxic. Yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, let's go Damn. to Non-Thrills Covers in Nerve Center. Uh, Prog 228. It's a Zar, a Zar Jazz new future war story. Rogue Trooper heads out in this classic Dave Gibbons cover. In Looking pretty cool. Lots yeah. of like weird fighting going on in the back. Yeah, definitely sort of just like crazy future war in the background and then just a big blue Rogue Trooper busting out from the center. <laughs> in the nerve center, uh, Bjorn Tharg, who's basically like tennis player Bjorn Borg, I believe, congratulates himself. Mm-hmm. On the release of Rogue Trooper, <laughs> and he teases the arrival of Ace Trucking, which we'll get to uh, two episodes from now. Sweet. Yeah, letters try to explain the many Beetlejuiceans in popular culture, Tharg included, and Darren Potter of Leicester tried to show his friend 2000 AD, but his friend prefers the Beano. Boo! Um, the hell is the Beano? It's just a, it's a, it's a comic, it's a comedy, uh, com- it's like a, a humor comic that's also out in, in this gotcha. area of England. Um, Mid-Prog, Tharg displays the winner of a Draw an Alien contest from the Daily Winner. I would describe it as a Michelin Man-themed alien. Uh-huh. I liked the Ace's Ace, personally. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely a good teaser for Ace Trucking. Absolutely. The prog ends with a bunch of robot drawings, and man, I doubt the veracity of all of them. That mechy Fergus droid agricultural drone is a goddamn lie, and you know it, Alex <laughs> Thompson of Benchworth, Surrey. You're like a, a, just a felon, just a criminal, just go to jail. I mean, it's you'd be really out by detailed. now, but still. Anytime there's shading on these pictures, I start doubting their veracity, Fox. I gotta tell you. I mean, it's pretty honest, man. Like, it's it's kind of a sham. I mean, maybe he's like an amazing prodigy. I don't know. Maybe, but that doesn't seem as likely as just copying it from something. <laughs> That's pretty fair. Yeah. Prog 229, very nice Mick McMahon cover this week. A fleet of judges rolling out. Are you their suspect? Um, Fucking awesome. Yeah, Tharg the Great has decided to settle the Earthlet Terran debate and has included um, a voting option for which is preferred in the weekly comment card. Uh, we are stridently pro-Earthlet on this podcast, of course. 
Um, Very strong. Yes. Mid-prog is a new feature called Towards 2000, and it's basically just a big info dump about the space shuttle and then, like, the Galileo uh, observational mission. Cool. Yeah, it's neat. Uh, Prog 230, it's Revenge of the Warlock. Nemesis, in all his glory, appears on the cover in an action shot by Kev O'Neill. Fuck yeah. Yeah, Rojas takes over the nerve center this week, answering a lot of Rojas-based questions. There's a picture of an architect droid, and I find all of them to be quite delightful. Um, also, mm-hmm. also delightful is how in the comment card in the copy of the progs we have, some, some kid has written the comic in the I dislike section, which is extremely cheeky. Um, Jesus. <laughs> There's also prizes to be won this episode, this issue. Identify the six parts of a Lawmaster bike, and you could win one of 20 Space Command belts or 20 combat pilot units from Star Blazer. They must be won. Must be won. And these things both just appear to be like sort of gizmos that light up and make noise for your sort of, you know, kidding around in the early 80s stuff. They look fun, though. There's also a huge ad for an Action Man Electronic Command Center, which looks pretty cool. Uh, Action Man, of course, what they call G.I. Joe in England, Fox. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, it was Action Man when it was sort of like those six-inch sort of like uh, semi-Barbie ones. And then it becomes Action Force when it becomes sort of the three-inch tall all-plastic ones. Awesome. Yeah, though they don't have the same characters. Like, like they don't have, like, Duke and Flint and stuff over there. They got a whole different setup. Anyhow, <laughs> also, in this in this prog is a, uh, a, a, a another feature on the space shuttle and a two-page full-color ad for the Green Cross Code. Aw, yeah. I- no, fuck that. I wish I was the death car. These kids- I would I would be called um uh hold on. Uh no. I would be called uh Danny DeVicar. Oh my god. Well this is the last episode of the podcast, folks. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> it's ready to murder. It's like I'm coming to get you kids, I'll murder you. It's perfect. Oh, fuck man. that child. <laughs> Prog 230, Jesus Christ. Prog 231, after 1984, there could only be 2000 AD. <gasps> Rogue fights a big old tank on a cover with a, with a, with a tagline that I found quite confusing. I asked, uh, I asked Tharg, I, I asked Steve McManus, who was in fact the editor of 2000 AD at this point, and he respond, and his, uh, qu- his quote was, imagine thinking up that, imagine that top line came to you in the night and you decided to use it on the next available cover, which I thought was pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, because I was like, I was like, well, it says 1984, but it's 1981 here, and it's not like there was like, and like the movie came out in 1984. It's not like there's like some big pop. There, I was just asking to see if there was some sort of pop culture 1984 thing going on in like fall of 1981. Then, and there wasn't. It was just Steve McManus thinking up jokes and putting them in the comic right away. <laughs> So ridiculous. I love it. It's excellent. Tharg's back in the nerve center this week, but he doesn't have anything to say. Like, he just has a sentence that says, like, hey, like, enough of me, Blag, and let's go to the comics. Um, Dan, it's just a regular-ass Tharg. Yeah. Letters discussed a mysterious Nick Stone action figure, 2080 wall art at an arcade, and a kid who's buying, like, six copies of the prog to distribute to his friends and thus earns a Krill Trothargo for it. Hell yeah, buddy. Also, spread the word. Yeah, there's also pictures of Cosmo Punks in a sweet spaceship. It's alright. It's fine. You know, these competitions. I get too paranoid about them, Fox. You gotta be, like, <laughs> on your on your guard, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Speaking of being on your guard for counterfeits, Fox. <laughs> oh, my God. Thrill for Mean Arena. So, script robot for Mean Arena, Tom Tully, art robot, Eric Bradbury, letting robot, Pete Knight. Just two Mean Arenas this week, this month. Um, first off, there's, you know, one of the Meeker from the Penzance Riggers. He's a crazed android. He's attacking Matt Talon. <laughs> Talon draws his droid gun, but it's malfunctioning, as we sort of, you know, theorized last week. Or last episode. So what do you do as a crazed droid is like rip into some steel and get ready to beat the shit out of a guy with a pipe? Yeah. 
Uh, the robot attack Matt's merc- attacks Matt mercilessly, but suddenly another team member, Barrett, tries to shoot the droid with his gun. He misses and is knocked into one of the sludge holes in the arena. Uh, Doing great. Yeah, T- Talon's too busy fighting for his life to save his teammate, who drowns in the sludge. Don't worry, it was nameless Barrett anyway. Yeah, Talon ends up winning by attaching a pair of limpet mines to the droid's chest. Limpet mines being the all-powerful thing in Mean Arena. Nothing without limpet mines in this thing. Um, Dude, it's his, it's his fucking signature move. It's true. The refs confirm the droid's status, and they recover Barrett's body, awarding the Slayers three penalty points. Matt refuses to comment when um, on the targeted attack by the droid, but it's clear, like, you know, the droid was definitely, like, it gave up a chance to score to keep trying to kill Matt, so it's, or to kill, to kill Talon, so it's obviously an, an, an attack. Um, the teammates... Everyone's theor- getting real pissed. Yeah, yeah. They, they theorize about, you know, they, they don't like their buddy dying, and it's weird that Talon's gun malfunctioned. That's not cool. In response, Talon steps out and plays the Black Ace. So now he's got to either score or be shot in the face. Well, like it, I'm proud of them for at least bringing back a thing that they've mentioned before a long time ago. Yeah. So basically it means, yeah, if Talon makes the goal, he'll win 500,000 quid. So let's get going. Uh, Talon also tells the team that he'll give the money to them if he makes the goal. So it's, they'll either be rid of him because he'll be shot and killed by the long stop or Everybody will end up being like twenty five thousand pounds richer, so they can't lose. The- no, that sounds like a win for everybody. So yeah. they're really into making sure that he survives. Absolutely. The uh, the riggers sniper hides somewhere in the arena, and play begins. The riggers get the ball, but it's quickly stolen by Jigsaw Jordan of the Slayers. He makes a blind pass to Talon, who is hiding as the rest of the team scours the arena for the sniper. But he's well hidden, and there's only an hour left to play, as we'll see when Mean Arena returns in Prague 234. Yeah, it's Mean Arena. Fine. All right. Yeah, okay, why not? Back to some sports stuff. Got some revenge stuff mixed in, but it's on the field, so I think we can all... It's what we're doing fine. Doing (laughs) fine. You're adequate, Mean Arena. Indeed. Good job. Better than fine, of course, is Thrill 5 Strontium Dog. Oh, God, I love the character they bring. <laughs> <laughs> Script robot Alan Grant, uh, art robot Carlos Escara, letting robot Jack Potter. So, okay. Oh, and I should I oh, should right. mention the character I'm talking about is not uh, Knee Man. Not Kidney. So, aboard the space station of Mab Garden City, Johnny Wolf and the Gronk come across a mutant being attacked by Muty Bashers. They step in and scare them off and find the mutant to be fellow Strontium dog Kidney. K, that's uh, Kid K N E E, a guy with no head and a face on his right knee. Uh, kid <laughs> really is getting not great. Yeah, he's getting drunk on that sweet, sweet Mac Mac, much to Johnny's Boom, disgust. Return of Mac Mac, favorite never, character. Never leave Mac Mac. Uh, so, kid is over the hill and broken down, but he needs one last score, and he knows just the one: the Mutator, a shape-changing alien with a bounty of five hundred thousand creds. Thanks to some scouting that he did while getting drunk and being tossed out of a bar on his ass in the gutter, uh, Kidney knows the mutator's current identity, a washroom attendant at the local university. But Kid needs help taking him down because his nerves are shot and he can't hold a gun without shaking. The boys agree to help. He's got the Mac Mac shakes. He's got the Mac Mac shakes. The boys agree to help and they'll split the bounty three ways. So, I, I liked, uh, just from this, I like how when they go into a flashback, they just do no shading. Yeah, it's way whatsoever. lighter. It's, it's, very, like, it's cool. very light shading. Yeah, definitely. That. I, I, I thought that was cool, too, just to give it kind of a different feel, because it's, it's taking place mm-hmm. in the past or whatever. So, meanwhile... And mind you, the oh. kidney was only going to split it two ways, but Wolf is like, nah, bitch. <laughs> like, you get a <laughs> third, buddy. that shit three ways, motherfucker. Yeah, spotters don't get full price. So, Oddgood the OK, a local emperor, is visiting Mav Garden City. He's a great guy. Everybody likes him. Just thumbs up. You're okay with us, Oddgood, all around. Dude, I I love this character. Every, it's just like, you're okay, man. Yeah, He's just like, yeah, guys. What a nice great. guy. He wears kind of a clear lampshade on his head. It's awesome. Meanwhile, 
The boys are scouting. Are they're scouting out the mutator at the local university? Johnny and Wolf are skeptical about all this, so Kid promises to prove it. He leads them. He'll lead them to the body of the washroom attendant from the university that the mutator has replaced in the bathroom of a local bar. The bartender, however, is not down with this plan. But one barroom brawl later, he gives in, and they find the body, and it's time to act. I love how Wolf just, like, asides the bartender while Johnny is just beating the shit out of him. And he's like, look, man, you know, I don't really understand why you didn't just let us go down there. Because now a bunch of people are going to get their ass kicked and we're still going to look down there. <laughs> yeah, you can't stop us. It's just how easy you want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> so great. I love Wolf. Totally. So, it's time to act, but the guys are unaware that Emperor Oddgood is receiving an honorary degree. I believe it's a Bachelor's of Niceness from the university at the moment. (laughs) Afterward, Oddgood has to, or heads to the bathroom, where it's the only place his his bodyguards leave him alone. And then he's attacked by the attendant, Johnny and the team. Beats the shit out of him with what I guess is probably a plunger. Seems like it's a plunger. Johnny and the team have put this together already. They storm into the university to try to save the Emperor from being murdered and replaced by the mutator. Womp womp. Yeah, they storm the university as the mutator kills Osgood, puts on his clothes, and then dumps Osgood's body into a nearby waste disposal unit that just vaporizes everything because, you know, it's it's a space station. You can't have a lot of waste lying around. Yep. The mutator, as Oddgood walks out, claiming that the bathroom attendant has jumped and committed suicide in the bathroom stall right in front of him. Uh, the local and cops. He's not going to believe like the most okay dude ever. The local cops just respond with puns, dude. They <laughs> have flushed with excitement. Exactly. Um, so, casually beating up local guards, Johnny and the, and the rest of the team arrive to find that they're too late. Uh, Wolf just kind of smashes a dude in the face. They walk in, and they walk out. He's smashed in the face again. Like, we got to stop meeting like this. Real solid yeah. Wolf stuff this month. <laughs> dude, I love Wolf. But so, they find out that they're too late. The Emperor has taken off in a shuttle back to his private ship, the Benefax. So... Our guys snag a fast shuttle. They head to the spaceport. It's a rough situation, though, because the mutator only reveals its true form when it dies. So basically now they have to kill Emperor Osgood. Um, How do they know that if he's the only one? I guess it's just sort of part of the bounty information or something like that, you know? Like it's got okay. like relevant info in the dossier, you know? Like some some hints for the upcoming boss fight, you know? <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> Exhaust all character dialogue and get information. Be like, look for its flashing weak point in its belly. (laughs) (laughs) So, our so our guys are of course always up for the task. They land on the benefit on the benefacts and just sort of you know roll out uh, blasters to stun its dare emperor or bust. (laughs) <laughs> That's so great. So the em- the mutator's emperor Osgood aboard his ship. He makes decree that he's donating the entire imperial treasure to poor aliens. Uh, poor aliens, namely one alien, the mutator, and everybody thinks <laughs> it's great. Um, oh well, everybody thinks it's great except for the ship's guards who are too busy fighting off the attacking strontium dogs. <laughs> Who are just getting stunned to shit. Yeah, they fight. Or having parts of their spaceship time-bombed away. They fight their way through. Gronk's taken captive. Johnny heads off reinforcement by just sending a corridor deep into space with a time bomb. They board an elevator to try to get to the Emperor, but the security releases security gas into it, which knocks them out. The mutator realizes security gas. they're jerks, dude. They know what they're doing. And everybody, of course, does the classic, uh, Gas! Can't breathe! Response. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. Um, so the mutator realizes that these strontium dogs after him means that they know his secret. Um, but he can't just have them killed or he'd break cover as, um, as like Oz, you know, as Oddgood. Conte just tosses him in, in, uh, the, in, in the dungeon for a couple years. Um, mm. arriving on the planet Thur. Oddgood repeats his promise to donate the Imperial Fortune. He tells citizens that they should do the same. Johnny, Wolf, Kid, and the Gronk are led to prison as the Mutator begins his plot to rob an entire planet. 
next time. See you later, imitator. <laughs> That's so great. <laughs> Man, no one likes a shape changer, unless you're Odo from Deep Space Nine. He and was even, pretty cool. Yeah, but then the thing about Odo as a shape changer was that he couldn't like really become other people. He just become sort of, you know, stuff. And then when he tried to be a human, he was sort of that like sort of loose approximation of one, you know? Yeah, he's a weirdo. He yeah. could become like a... No, no, he could just turn liquid. He didn't really shape change. In- no, no, he, he could... turned into like an animate object. Yeah, I've seen him turn into mice. And, you know, he, he turns into stuff. He's just no good with faces, that's all. Yeah, well, that's true. Yeah. Hey, so speaking it's a of... cop, not a not a evil or whatever. emperor killer. I mean, that didn't come in until like those later seasons of Deep Space Nine when things got real cool. <laughs> Woof. Anyhow... <sighs> Speaking of exciting future events, Fox. Final six. Future shocks. <laughs> Man, let me tell you, this first one's real, like what? It's real fast. It's called Giant Leap. Script robot Kelvin Gosnell. Art robot Jesus Redondo. Uh, letting robot Steve Potter. And this one's just, it's just a quick one. Uh, a bunch of astronauts have been in cryo-sleep during a hundred-year journey to a new star system. They arrive to find that while they slept, humanity has developed faster than light travel and is there waiting for them. So, you know, whatever. I kind of like the end here, though, because it could have been real easy to have, like, a Twilight Zone. Like, oh, my life has been worthless. We flew a hundred years and it was for nothing, right? But instead, they're mm-hmm. like, whoa, like, faster than light travel, that's awesome. Let's go explore more stuff. And I appreciate the uh, positive outlook. That's all I'm trying to say. So, so I agree, actually, completely, in that like it still feels like a future shock, and that there was a twist. Mm-hmm. But it's a, it's a like as you said, positive outlook on like space travel. Yeah. If they had cut it off after Beardy McBeard guy had made his whole thing, where he's like, "We already got here because we got faster than light travel." That's where we would have cued air horns. Absolutely. But then they just filled the the rest of the page with just like, "Nah, man, like, I'm not worried about not being first because now we could be first on so many different worlds." Exactly. Yeah, I like it. It's just a nice, like, little little story about whatever, keeping a positive outlook. That's what I'm trying to say. Unlike our second one, which is very airhorn worthy. <laughs> Jesus. Yeah, so this one's called The Red House. Uh, script robot Steve Moore, art robot Jesus Redondo again, letting robot Pete Knight. Some good Redondo stuff this, this month for sure. <laughs> um, so, the Garax Fox. They're a race of tough skinned rhino aliens that have recently colonized a new planet. It's been ravaged by the elements and periodically has deadly acid rains, which don't really affect the Garax because <laughs> they got thick skin. Anyhow, Alec, the lawyer, has been called in. The locals are upset at how the local scientists have been treating the plant's native species. They can't communicate with these natives because the Garricks are telepathic and don't understand, like, spoken communication. But they know that um, they're keeping these uh, ali- these uh, natives locked up in a place called the Red House. And that is just barbaric and disgusting. I'm, I'm wondering if the Red House is an allusion to, like, a... Like a pub or something like that, because people are getting real drunk and sexy in there. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe like a like a lab in England or something like that too. That, that, mm. that was what I was thinking. Um, but anyhow, so people don't like it. There's a lawsuits and protests. Eventually, a mob goes and opens the place up. Inside, they find a whole bunch of humans partying extremely hard. But <laughs> to the Garricks, it looks like. They're, like, having a big fight, and they're, like, screaming horribly instead of drinking, you know, singing drinking songs or something like that. Exactly. The activists force the humans out of the Red House. Um, as the humans oppose the action, it's the best, like, being in the Red House is the best thing to happen to them since the Russian-American nuclear war 200 years ago. <laughs> and then they're promptly hit by some acid rain and reduced to skeletons. <laughs> and everyone's like, oh, well, that You're sucks. At- your animal rights causes are misguided and you're stupid. Bam, bam, bam. <laughs> <laughs> That's definitely what it feels like. It definitely feels like a weird send-up of, like, uh, PETA and animal rights activists and stuff like that. You know, people being against I, animal testing and stuff. Yeah, it's just like, all right. And then, like... That's and, and then all, to tell children. Yeah, or, or then also, like, people that, like, try to, like, you know, 
free cows from farms or something. The cows just kind of, you know, walk outside and like, well, well, I guess I'll just be a cow out here then, and then I can eat by wolves, you know? It's like bad times. <laughs> I'll eat this grass. Bark, bark, bark. Chew, not destroy. I'm not evolved for this anymore. But yeah. Anyhow. <laughs> hey, Fox, that's it for our thrills this month. Oh my gosh. Holy crap. Good month. Yeah, I this guess month. we got to talk about some stuff now. Yeah, buddy. Specifically, what were your top and bottom thrills for this September 1981? So, like, can I really count uh, Mean Arena? I guess is the big question. Yeah. Right? Like, it was only two. Like, I. So, the thing about Mean Arena is that it's not bad. Like, it was fine. Mm-hmm. Like I said, it's, you know, B minus C plus. Like, mm-hmm. it, it was adequate. Yeah. Um, so when I'm talking about bottom, it's like, it's because the others were so great. No, I understand. Yeah. No, I think, you know, yeah. we're saying that a lot a lot recently. I think everybody kind of realizes that, you know, we're kind of putting things in the order that they show up, and there just has to be something that comes in last, you know, even if it's not, like, making our eyes explode, you know? Well, and that's the thing, is that, like, I'm surprised Strontium Dog was at the end of the fucking comic book, but it was definitely like this good nugget. Well, like, yeah, because here's near how, the end. Cause, so like here's the tears of how things go in 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 uh mm. in 2000 AD, as I understand it. Mm. Um, you know, you have Dread in the middle, right? Then you have yeah. your number one thing first. Your, your number one mm. non-Dread thing, which is usually what they're trying to sell. So it's been Strontium Dog, but they're really hyped about Rogue Trooper, so they tossed him right right in front. Then you have your second best thing last to leave people on a high note. So basically, with Rogue Trooper bu- bumping Strong Team Dog out of first, it means that they go at the end of the comic now. I got you. Okay. Okay. That makes some sense. I mean, it doesn't change my first, which is Nemesis the Warlock, which nice. is the most fucking amazing thing on the planet. Yes. But every, every page is so well done and all of the characters are so well done and every every line of dialogue every way they decide to show or describe something like this is one of the few where i take like a long time to just make sure i read all of the text boxes mm-hmm. i'll take like a minute to just kind of look at the decals like when you're looking at the giant organ with the looming uh, Torquemada above it, mm-hmm. like if you look at the sides of this page, which is meant to be, you know, in some kind of tome, there's horrific things going on the side, like yeah. a dude getting stretched out, but being eaten by both ends and like mm-hmm. all this weird tentacle and like tooth stuff. It's just really beautifully done. And it feels like a world. It feels like a place I want to see this show or I want to watch this movie or I want to play this game um, because it's just there's just so much going on and not much needs to be said. It's not like a a ton of text going on. It wants certain things to speak for itself, which I think is is just so it's what I like about it so much. Yeah. You know, totally. that shouldn't discount the other three. Uh, Judge Shred was amazing, and and Strontium Dog is I love Strontium Dog, and I, honestly, Rogue Trooper has got me very curious. So, but nice. goddamn, do I love Nemesis the Warlock? So, Conrad, how about you, top and bottom? Um, I gotta agree with you this this for this month, Fox. Um, I want to say though that Mean Arena just has to be the bottom, just because we've got four comics that are really at the top of their form right now. Like, yeah. and honestly, I'd say. Uh, the first prog we looked at this month, 228, which has the end of the Dark Judges, the start of Rogue Trooper, the start of the Kidney story, just sort of this uh, this mean arena action, and then uh, Nemesis uh, confronting Brother Gogol and stuff, is one of the best progs I've ever seen, just in terms of yeah. everything hitting, everything, all the stories being really amazing. Like, even Mean Arena, which is, comes in last, sort of had a ton of action and dudes dying and muck and run, and aliens going all over the, pl- or, uh, you know, robots going all over the place and stuff. Just extremely strong, extremely strong month. And all, and you know, the, f- and it's just like there's, and while well, Mean Arena and the Future Shocks are sort of in like a medium tier, the rest of the, of the rest of the prog is basically top tier stuff, you know? 
it's and I mean, what more can you ask from with a comic book, right? I like, mean, it honest, should draw your attention. This is honestly like, yeah, this is like, oh, this is just the best stuff. It's fantastic. Um, and yeah, so, but I'd say Nemesis, like he's just for everything you said, it's so detailed. There's so much going on at once. It's like nothing else you'll see out there. I feel like it's re- it's incredibly unique. There's all these awesome set pieces. Uh, the way Mills sort of writes Nemesis as being this sinister hero is really neat. Um, just the, the, all the different sort of background stuff about the world of termites really awesome. Just all of it's so good. All of it's so cool. And you really, like, you know, the Nemesis, like graphic novels are out there. It's all completely collected and all, and especially these early ones are really worth your time. For sure. Oh, goddamn. I'm buying that. I mean, Definitely worth it, I'd say. Maybe not till we finish it up. Finish up the first book, though, dude. Of course. Whatever. Don't spoil yourself, man. That's like the tagline of this podcast. So anyhow, <laughs> <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. You can always find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or on our podcast site at Cradaline.com. Feel free to contact us at SpaceSpinner2000 at Gmail, on the 2080 forums, or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages, on Twitter at SpaceSpinner2K for everything else. Just look up Space Spinner 2000 and we should be there. Come back next time as we near the end of 1981 and it's time for non-Prague content. We'll be starting oh. off with the 1981 sci-fi special, which should be pretty good. It's got a fun Nemesis prequel story about the Sword Sinister. It's got cool. a legacy comic called One-Eyed Jack, which I'm pretty excited about, actually. And Fox. It's got a Judge Dredd story featuring Max Normal. Oh, yeah. Oh, fuck <laughs> yes. I'm yeah, so in. Count should me be in. good. Absolutely. So, until next time, I'm Conrad, he's Fox, and we are Space Spinner 2000. Splendid Birthrig! Splendid Birthrig! Splendid Birthrig!